How's everyone doing? Yes, welcome to Anchor. Uh, I am Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're our guest, welcome. We're so glad you decided to worship with us. If you're joining us online, welcome. Glad, glad you're tuning in. Uh, first of all, before I start, I, I got to say, when Dylan said I would love to baptize you, you made it sound like I like holding people underwater or something. Like, it's nothing like that. I just, I love what baptism represents. So yeah, if you want, if you want to uh, get baptized, like come talk to me. I'd love to, love to work that out with you. Um, and then yesterday, man, I got to brag on you guys, man. We did an awesome thing yesterday. It was really cool to be able to see uh, a lot of the community come out and get to just love on them and let them have fun with, with the, their families and, and that kind of thing. It was so cool. So um, it was a huge win. And um, I just, yeah, give, you guys, give, give yourselves a round of applause real quick. It was awesome. You guys did great. We did great. It was awesome. So I'm really pumped. Um, thankfully, we only do something like that once a year because I'm sore today. So, um, yeah, so we are in our third week in our series, Christian. And the last couple weeks, we've been talking about this word, Christian. And um, the reason we've been talking about it is because nobody really knows what it means. It's, it's uh, undefined. It's, it only appears three times in the Bible, and it was used as a derogatory term by non-Jesus followers to describe people who did follow Jesus. And, and again, there's not really uh, a definition for the word Christian. There's, it's, it's undefined. You can misdefine it, redefine it. You can use it to justify any behavior. You can use it to justify any belief. And, and that's why there are people on both sides of every issue who claim to be Christians. That's why there's people on both sides in war who are Christians. There's people on both sides of the political issues who are Christians. There's people on all sides of financial issues who are Christians. Because there's not really a definition for the word. And, and maybe that's why, like, some of you, like, aren't looking forward to holidays or family get-togethers because maybe your family's Christian and, like, you kind of believe some of the same things, but, like, you just can't get along because your definition of Christian is different than your definition and my definition, you know, all that. Like, it's just, it gets messy, right? It gets really messy. Now, um, we discussed also last week that um, Jesus called his followers something else, and actually the Jesus followers called themselves something else. Do you guys remember what that word is? Disciple. Very good. You guys were paying attention. Very, very good. Uh, now, the last couple of weeks we said, like, this is a terrifying word. Disciple is a terrifying word, and the reason it's a terrifying word is because it's so clearly defined in Scripture what a disciple is, how a disciple is supposed to act. It's very clearly defined, and that is terrifying. It's terrifying. You can't, you can't hide behind the word disciple. You can't run away from that. You can, you can hide behind Christian. You can be a Christian and adopt any lifestyle you want. You cannot get around the word disciple. So now the difference between a Christian and a disciple is that being a Christian is all about what a person believes. Being a disciple is about what a person does. Being a Christian is about what a person believes. Being a disciple is all about what a person does. If you're a, a church person, uh, you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, it's crucial to understand that non-church people, expect way more of us than we expect of ourselves. We, we have to understand that. People who don't have faith in Jesus expect way more out of us than we expect out of ourselves. We have to, 
We have to understand that. And while many people hide behind, many people hide behind the, the, the label, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. People outside the church would look at us and say, yeah, but you don't look like Jesus. You don't look like Jesus. You don't look like Jesus. And, and it confuses people who don't have their faith in Jesus. It confuses people who don't believe in Jesus. That's why there's so many people who, who aren't involved in a local church, church it, it just, there's this conflict and there's this attitude like, well, forget Christian, like you don't, even, you don't even look like Jesus. In fact, Steve Jobs, uh, founder and former owner of Apple, Steve Jobs, that guy, uh, he said this in his biographies, like notorious atheist, he said this about Christianity. He said, the juice goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw it. The juice goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith, uh, too based on faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw it. He's saying there's no power in Christianity when it's all about what a person believes. There's no power in Christianity when it's all about what a person believes. And not also about what a person does, right? Like, no, don't get me wrong. Like, Scripture says we're saved by grace through faith, right? But Scripture also says that faith without works is dead. It's not just about what we believe. It's also about what we do. And, and the, the juice of what we believe, like, there is no juice when we don't put action to what we say we believe. Now, we shouldn't be surprised by this. So we shouldn't be shocked. Um, and, and Scripture is very very clear about what a disciple is, right? It's, it's very clear on, like, when you ask it, what, is, what does a Christ follower look like? What does it look like to follow Jesus? It's, it's very clear. We can find many, many, many examples in Scripture on what it means to follow Jesus, what it looks like to be a disciple, because that is clearly defined. Jesus made it unmistakably clear what it looks like to follow him. He made it unmistakably clear to what it looks like to be his disciple, that's why it's easy to hide behind the word Christian, and that's why you can't run from the word disciple. It's very clearly defined. So here's what Jesus said, right? We, we mentioned this the past couple of weeks. John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another, right? We've, we've been kind of hammering that the last couple of weeks. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Not, not simply by what you believe. Not simply by what you do on Sunday mornings. But if you love one another, this is the defining characteristic of, of being a follower of Jesus, how you treat other people. This is the defining characteristic of what it means to follow Jesus, how you treat other people. So today I want to I switch gears a little bit. The last couple weeks we've been talking um, about uh, being a disciple means loving each other and that kind of thing. I, wanna, I want to today dive into the, the topic of how are we as Christ followers supposed to treat people outside the church? How are we as Christ followers supposed to treat people who don't profess faith in Christ? That's what I want to get into today. Jesus' followers are supposed to love each other like Jesus loves us, right? Like that's, that's a difficult assignment, right? In and of itself, that's difficult. Love each other the way Jesus loved us. We could spend our, the rest of our lives trying to perfect that one thing, and we'd still fall short because it's that difficult right? But God calls us to love all people, and in order to reflect him to the world, we need to learn how to treat people who don't follow Christ as well. 
So today might be a little unsettling for some uh, because today, um, today might upset some of what your church tradition has been or what you've learned uh, in church. And so I just want to prepare you a little bit so, um, so, so you're not like jarred out of your seat, right? Because I'm, I'm way more interested in, in arriving at truth than I am holding tight to tradition. Not that tradition, not that there's no truth in tradition, but sometimes we can hold so tightly to, to tradition that we're, we miss the truth. And I always want to pursue the truth over tradition. So um, do me a favor. After this message, I want to challenge you. Go home. Um, <laughs> go home and pull out, your, uh, pull out your B-I-B-L-E, if that's the book for thee. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> um, and I want you to fact check me. I want you uh, to reread today's passage. And I want you to ask yourself, not... Not did the, did the sermon make me feel good. Don't ask yourself, did the pastor affirm everything I've always believed? Reread the passage and ask, is that what the scripture teaches? What, what, what Ryan talked about today, is that what the scripture teaches? And I think, um, I think you'll, you'll be surprised because if you're a Jesus follower, the scriptures is where we get our marching orders from. So today we're going to answer the question, how do we treat those who aren't Christ followers? So to begin our discussion, we have to go back to something else. So uh, let me set it up for you. Jesus was uh, arrested. He was beaten. He was crucified. He died, right? He rose from the dead, and now he's having an interaction with his disciples before he ascends to heaven. Matthew 28, 19. This is, this is what's known widely as the Great Commission, right? 28, 19, and 20 is the Great Commission. It says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice he didn't say go make Christians. He didn't say that. He didn't say go make Christians. That word hadn't been made up yet, right? That word hadn't, hadn't even been made up. That phrase, make, go make disciples, could more precisely be translated as go cause to become. Go cause people to become my disciples. Cause people to become students of my teachings. Cause people to become my people. Cause people to become my followers. That kind of takes on a whole other meaning when you think about it like that. Verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And then he left his disciples and, and they went and began doing what he commanded them to do. And they formed these little uh, ecclesias, these little churches, and, and they started uh, living in such a way, they started teaching in such a way that people outside of the church would kind of like peek in and they would see like, man, these people are really, really different. And, and these people outside of the church saw how differently the people inside of the church lived and they started putting their faith in Jesus just because of that. They put their faith and trust in Jesus just because of that. And the, the movement began to grow. And everything went really well for the first 300 years. After 300 years, Roman opened itself up to religion. And Roman, or Rome uh, actually like made religion uh, legal. And Rome actually adopted Christianity as its primary religion. Good, right? That's when everything went bad. Because the church had all the power. The big C church, right? The, the body of Christ. When Rome adopted Christianity, the church had all the power. And when the church had all, has all the power, back, you know, in this, in, in this moment in history, it stopped leveraging love. 
It started leveraging its power. It started leveraging its control over people. It stopped leveraging love. And this is, this is really important. This is really important. Listen, anytime the church leverages anything other than love, anytime the church leverages anything other than love, I'm going to say it one more time, anytime the church leverages anything other than love, we go backward in our influence, not forward. Anytime we leverage anything other than love, we go backward in our influence, not forward. Because Jesus said, by this one thing, the world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. But once we got the power, we decided we weren't going to leverage love anymore. We decided we were going to leverage some other things, right? And so the church got control and power. And the Great Commission sounded like this after that. Therefore, go and impose my teaching, values, and worldviews on all nations, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't obey everything I have commanded you. That's what the Great Commission sounds like once the church had the power. Impose my teaching, value, and worldview on all nations, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't obey everything I have commanded you. Yikes. That is the message of a group that has the power. That is the message of a group that's in control. That's not the message of Jesus. That's not the message of Scripture. It's not the way that the early group of Christ followers lived their lives uh, to, to win over the Roman Empire. That's not how they did it. Rome was opened up to Christ, and ultimately Roman emperors became Christians. They became disciples of Christ because the Jesus followers listened and obeyed the words of Jesus. They loved really well. They loved each other really well. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Remember, that's Jesus' words. Not them. Don't love them. Love each other really well. That was Jesus' command, right? I think uh, the Apostle Paul is the ultimate example of this. After Jesus ascended into heaven, um, the Apostle Paul began to uh, preach and teach, and, and he went to the non-Jewish world, um, and, and he, he basically said, like, man, there's a lot of, this, God is doing awesome things in this whole Christianity thing. Like, I, I want people to be a part of it. So he goes to the non-Jewish world, and he starts to teach non-Jewish people. People have no idea who God is. People have no idea who Jesus is. He starts to teach them the ways of Jesus. And, and people start to put their faith in Jesus because he lived in such a way around them that he caused them to be drawn. He caused them to, to want to be a part. That's the Apostle Paul's story, and this is his approach. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is, uh, this is a letter to the Corinthian church. Now, really quickly, uh, I'll get into uh, a little bit more context with the Corinthians, but really quickly, the Corinthians were a really tough group of people to convince. So, like, just have that in the back of your mind as you read this. This is Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and this is his approach um, to, you know, to, to make disciples. So, uh, Verse 19, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. In other words, I don't power up. I don't power up. I don't condemn anybody. I don't get all high and mighty. And this is why he doesn't do that. He, he says to bring many to Christ. But I like the way other translations say it better. He says to win as many as possible. To win as many as possible. Paul, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to win. I'm trying to win as many people to Jesus as I can. That's what he's saying. 
He's going to go into all, he's trying to go into all the world and cause people to become followers. And he's saying, I can't do that by imposing my will. I can't, I can't win people by imposing my will. Paul's saying, I've learned the most effective way to do this, and it's to win them. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Ryan, what does that mean? How do you, how do you win somebody? Have you ever won a contract? Have you ever won a bid? Have you ever won someone's heart romantically? Did you win those things by imposing your will? No. You, you can't win those things by imposing your will. I know how you did it. You won that contract because you made your products look way more appealing than the, other, than the competition's products, right? You, you made what you have look way better than what the competition has. You won that bid because you made your services way more appealing than the competition's services. You won her heart. You won his heart because you made you look better than everyone else. You didn't impose your will. You can't win somebody's heart by imposing your will. You're not going to win that contract. You're not going to win that bid by imposing your will. You've got to win them by making what you do, what you, what you offer more appealing. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. The word win is so strategic because that's what he did. He's saying, I want to win over as many people as I can, and I'm willing to do anything I can, just short of sinning, to win people to Christ. I'm willing to do anything just short of sinning to win people to Christ. He goes on in verse 20. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. So this is, this is a little anecdotal, right? There's a little bit of hyperbole there, but you get the point. Um, but what I want to do right now is I want to jump to a portion of Scripture where the Apostle Paul teaches directly, this is how you're supposed to treat people outside the church. This is, this is how you're supposed to do that. And so... Um, Again, if, if you don't believe me, I want you to go home and I want you to read this, right? I want you to, to get out your Bible, you know, dust it off, get it out, open it up, and, and read it for yourself. Because I'm convinced, I'm convinced that because we've gotten this, this wrong, what we're going to talk about today, because we've gotten this wrong, we as the church have put ourselves unnecessarily at odds with culture. Because we've gotten this wrong, how to treat people outside the church, the church has put in itself unnecessarily at odds with culture. The world hates Christians, and not for the reasons that Jesus said they would hate Christians. The world hates Christians actually because we, and I'm in, including myself in that because I, I believe in Jesus. I'm just lumping us all together. The world hates Christians because Christians largely don't look anything like Jesus. We, we look different, we, we act different, we sound different, we think different than Jesus commanded us to. And, and the world can see, like, there's something off here. And they, they hate us for that. Here's, here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. So really quickly, Corinth, this is a letter to the the church in Corinth. Corinth was like Las Vegas. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, right? That type of thing. Well, the the church took that a a step further, like they, the church went crazy. And the way they were living, like people outside the church saw and were like, you guys are nuts. Like, like what are you doing? Like, nobody does that. You know, that, that, that's, that's what's happening in Corinth here. And, and so Paul, he's addressing this, you've got to be kidding me kind of like issue, this, this behavior. And it's in his response that we see an insight into how a disciple of Christ is supposed to respond to people outside the church. And, and this is important. Uh, the Apostle Paul introduces us to an idea that there's a Jesus follow morality and there's a non-Jesus follower morality. There's a Jesus follower morality and there's a non-Jesus follower morality and they're different. So, so Christ followers, disciples, we have morality, but like even pagans have morality. Like the Romans, they hunted and killed Christians, even them, they have morality, but it's supposed to be different. It's supposed to look different. There's supposed to be different standards. And the Apostle Paul is saying, what's going on in your church is so bad that pagans are looking and they're grossed out. Like, oh, what are you guys doing? Like, that's what's going on. So now you guys want to know what it was, don't you? You guys want to know what they were doing? It's actually reported that there is, a, there is sexual immorality among you and of, any kind, or, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Now, really quickly, um, the, in the original language, the wording that's used indicates that he, this guy is not sleeping with his mother. Uh, what probably happened is, is this guy's mom uh, divorced the dad or the, the mom died or something, and the dad remarried, and the, this guy is actually sleeping with that lady, right? And, and pagans are looking at this, and they're like, we don't even do that, man. What are you guys doing? You know, like, this is, so they're, they're acting kind of crazy, and Paul's addressing this issue. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment. And it's at this point where most people will be like, oh, 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 hang on, Paul. Paul, come on. You're an apostle. You should know what the Bible says. The Bible says you're not supposed to judge people. What are you doing, Paul? Has, has anybody ever heard that before? The Bible says you're not supposed to judge people? No one wants to raise their hand? That, that's cool. Uh, Brian, you've heard that. Okay. Um, yeah, the Bible teaches you're not supposed to judge others, Paul, to which Paul would say, I'm writing the Bible. This is it. Like, th- this is the Bible. I'm writing it. And, and so, like, now we're confused, right? So um, let me help clear this up really quickly. Um, listen, this is, this is really important. Hear me. The Bible doesn't tell us not to judge. The Bible tells us who to judge. The Bible doesn't tell us not to judge. The Bible tells us who to judge. Now, I can already hear people snapping back at me and saying, well, Pastor Ryan, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself says to judge unless you, you know, don't judge unless you want to be judged. And I would tell you that there is a translation issue. When the Bible was translated from its original language into English, some things were missed and some things were mistranslated or maybe not translated the best. And there's a translation issue there. 
When Jesus says, don't judge unless you want to be judged, it would more accurately be translated as this. Don't condemn unless you want to be condemned. And there's a difference between judgment and condemnation. There's a huge difference between judgment and condemnation. Judgment is a tool when it's done in love. Judgment is a tool used by God to correct. When done in love, judgment is a tool used by God to correct. Condemnation is from the enemy of your soul who wants to see you separated from God forever. There's a difference between judgment and condemnation. The Bible does not tell us not to judge. The Bible tells us who to judge. So the Apostle Paul, he says, I've already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus. Chew on that. He's passed judgment judgment in the name of Jesus. And here's why he passed judgment. Because this guy who's sleeping with his dad's wife, he's in in the Jesus community. He's inside the church. He professes faith in Christ. He claims to be a disciple. That's why Paul has passed judgment. That's why he passes judgment. And his behavior is way out of whack with the standard that Christ calls his disciples to. And, and, And even to those who aren't disciples, they're disgusted. And so Paul goes on, verse 4. So when we're assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of the Lord is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. You might read that and be like, man, that is cold, Paul, cold-blooded. Hand him over to Satan. What he's saying here is if this guy wants to sin, let him sin. Because the further he gets into sin, the faster sin is going to Take him out, and he's going to come crawling back to the church. Let him sin if he wants to sin. Don't don't let him be half in, half out. If he wants to sin, let him go do it. That's what Paul's saying. Because the the more he sins, the faster he'll come back. So that's essentially what he's saying. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. By the way, that's the judgment. Your boasting isn't good. He's he's continuing to, to give these judgments. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new leavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the leavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. There's another judgment. Don't do it. Don't hang out with sexually immoral people. Really quickly, uh, this is an aside, but... um, Bible nerds will appreciate this. He says, I wrote in my letter, uh, Paul originally wrote four letters to the church in Corinth. Two of them were lost. I didn't lose them, but uh, they were lost in history. Um, so uh, when he says, I wrote to you in my letter, he's referring to one of the letters that were, that were lost. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immortal or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. He's not talking about people outside. He's talking about people inside the church. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. Notice he didn't say Christian. Brother or sister but uh, is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. And these next two, this next verse is, is the, the, the point of emphasis. What business is it of mine to judge those outside? What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. 
This is supposed to be our response to people outside the church. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. It's none of our business what non-Jesus followers do. It's none of our business. But the church has made it our business. And again, when I say the church, I don't, I'm not necessarily talking about anchor. I'm talking about the body of Christ. The body of Christ has made it our business, and it is none of our business how non-Jesus people conduct their lives. We cannot hold Jesus fo- or non-Jesus followers to Jesus' standards. We cannot do it. We cannot hold non-Jesus followers to Jesus' standards. We cannot hold non-Jesus followers to Jesus' standards. Yeah, but Pastor Ryan, Disney is, is like starting to produce content promoting the LGBTQ plus uh, agenda. Has Disney ever professed to be a Christian company? No. What did you expect? But Pastor Ryan, I don't think my kids should be learning about stuff when we're just trying to watch a movie. Yeah, I agree. Don't watch the movies. Don't watch it. You don't want them to learn it. Don't watch it. They're not, they're not a Christian company. You can't hold them to Christian standards. Yeah, but Pastor Ryan, I need, my, I need my kids to know where I stand. I agree. You can take care of that in a private conversation at home. It's called parenting. I'm, I'm meddling now. I'm meddling now. <laughs> You can, you can email me uh, at chelsea at anchormilford.com. <laughs> we have to get this right. We have to get this right because we are Jesus' reputation. We are Jesus' reputation and we have to get this right. And when we don't get this right, it tarnishes the way they see him. When we don't get this right, it tarnishes the way the world sees him, and we want to reflect God to the world. We cannot hold non-Jesus followers to Jesus' standards. God will judge those outside. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about civil or federal law, right? I'm not talking about that. Like, if you see somebody murder somebody, I'm not, are you a Christ follower? Okay, I can't say anything. That's not what I'm saying, right? Like, that, I'm not talking about civil or federal law. I'm talking about morality, I'm talking about morality. Remember, our morality as disciples is supposed to be different from the morality of the world. We cannot hold non-Christ followers to our morality. And we get this very backwards. The church is very notorious for policing the behavior of people outside the church while very, very poorly policing the behavior of people inside the church. The church is notorious for that. Notorious. The Apostle Paul flips this on its head and he says, we need to do a way better job of policing ourselves and we need to lay off of everybody else because it's none of our business. It's none of our business. They're not accountable to your standard of morality, he's saying. They're not accountable to your standard of honesty, he's saying. They never signed up for this. We have no business judging people outside the church. You are to judge yourselves. That's what he's saying. Now, like, I know, like, some are still caught up, like, with the J word, you know, like, and it's way more comfortable to just say, like, well, I'm just not going to judge anybody. But um, I want you to think, I want you to think about it like this. Like, has anybody here ever been a kid? Every hand should be up, right? Everyone's been a kid. Uh, so when you were a kid, you had rules in the house you grew up in, right? When you broke those rules, the judge came 
and like handed out a punishment, right? The judge being your mom or your dad, they came in, one of them or maybe both of them, they came in, they judged your behavior and they handed down a sentence, basically a punishment, right? You were grounded or, or you had privileges taken away or the one I'm familiar with, capital punishment, um, got my behind whipped many times. Um, and that was a judgment passed down to me from my parents. Now, um, has anyone here ever disciplined their kids? Raise your hand. Congratulations, you've passed judgment. Congratulations. Welcome to the club. Um, you've passed judgment, but it most likely wasn't out of spite. It was most likely to correct and make sure that your kids don't go down the wrong path. This is exactly the type of judgment the Apostle Paul is talking about. We, it doesn't matter what they're doing out there. We need to worry about ourselves. Once you become a part of the church, the Apostle Paul is saying, like, there's a standard we have to meet. There's rules to the house once we say yes to Jesus. There's accountability. Uh, worship team, you can come to the platform. Um, and when we abandon this strategy, we go backwards in our influence. When we abandon this strategy, we go backwards in our influence. But when we get it right, when we get it right, people outside the church, they don't feel coerced. They feel drawn. They feel, um, they feel one. Um, and it, listen, at times, as Jesus followers, you're going to make people feel guilty by the way you live. I'm not condemned, guilty. Because the way you're living is not the way they're living. And they see the way you're living and they see, man, that's, that's better than the way I'm living. And they're going to feel guilty. That's going to happen. We are to love one another and we are to stop judging outsiders. We are to love one another and stop judging outsiders. Could you imagine, imagine really quickly, where things would be if the church never abandoned love as its primary form of like leverage, right? As a primary point of leverage. Where would the church be if we never walked away from that? If we, if we never tried to leverage power, where would the church be? Can you imagine where maybe some of your family members would be um, if they never experienced that thing in church that kind of bumped them out of faith? What if? Imagine if we'd gotten this one thing right. We're going to love one another the way Jesus loved, and we're going to stop judging outsiders because the Apostle Paul says, it's none of my business. It's none of your business. It's powerful. It's hard. That's, this is a difficult, difficult teaching. But again, I challenge you, go home, read it, pray about it, ask God to speak to you. And I think he's, he's going to be faithful in that. So let me pray for you this morning. God, we love you. We thank you um, for your word. It was difficult today, God. It, it's challenged everything that, um, that I believe, everything that I was taught. And I just, today, God, I, I submit to you all my traditions. I submit to you all my beliefs. And I say, you can inform them from now on. You can inform my beliefs. You can inform my traditions. Your truth can. I, I submit to you today, God. 
I pray today, God, for anybody in the house who, who may be struggling with this as well, I pray that you give them peace and speak to them clearly. Reveal your truth to them in a loving, gentle way. Draw them close to you, God. We love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. What we're going to do right now is we're just going to take a moment to just respond. I don't want us to, to rush through the moment. I don't want, I, I'm going to ask that nobody leaves just yet. Um, I don't want us to rush through this moment. I want us to respond with the spirit, to what the Spirit of God is doing. So the worship team is going to lead us in a song. You can sit and pray. You can meditate. You can sing the song if you want. Um, but, but let's not miss this opportunity to respond to the Spirit of God. So if you'd like, you can stand with me this morning, and the worship team is going to lead us. Love one another the way Jesus loved us. Stop judging outsiders. That's enough. That's enough work to keep us busy the rest of our lives. But it's what God's calling us to as his disciples, as his followers. Uh, really quickly, before I dismiss, I want to share a few next steps that I have for us. And these next steps are just tangible things that we can do to take the message and apply it to our lives this week. So the first one is this. This week, I'll give away the love of God to someone outside my church. I want to challenge you, as, as awkward as it may feel or, or as um, maybe strange or, you know, you, yeah, you just might feel weird about it. I want to challenge you. Find somebody outside the church that you can show the love of God to. Next one is this week, I will memorize 1 Corinthians 9, 23. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. And then the last one is, I'll invite someone to join me at Anchor next week. Next week's Mother's Day. We're going to celebrate some, some of the moms. We love the moms. And so, um, yeah, invite somebody to join us. So uh, let me say one last prayer and we can be dismissed. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you, God, that you brought us in and you've made us disciples. And we just ask, God, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to live the way you've called us to live, to meet the standard that you've called us to meet. We can't do it any other way. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us. Lead us, guide us. Finally, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for being with us today, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.